Danny Wolpert is a former RCMP sniper supervisor that was regularly tasked with protection of the Prime Minister. Today, on February 14th, we received information from multiple believed reliable sources that firearms may be planted in Ottawa, specifically around the Freedom Convoy, to discredit the protest and to use as a pretext to forcibly remove peaceful protesters. The thing I would like to do for the audience and anyone who's listening um, and anyone who may listen that might be of a different opinion than me is that I'd like to appeal to the humanity of Canadians um, so that to help them understand why so many people, you know, if you look at the current statistics from Public Health Canada, there's still 13% of the 12 and over population in Canada that haven't received a single dose. So the number's quite a bit higher, and I suspect that we only got to that 87% because of a lot of the pressure tactics that are being imposed by the government. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and then within that 13%, you're talking about first responders, scientists, like you mentioned, and, and medical professionals, you know, that are unwilling to comply with these policies and these mandates. And I can assure, I can assure people, like, it's not because we're only concerned with our personal safety and that we have no regard for everybody else. Like that we've all made a career based on the opposite of that, you know, willingly and repeatedly putting ourselves at risk for others. And I'm totally fine with that, right? Like that, that was, that was the career that I chose, but you know, people like me have put my, put ourselves in, in real physical harm's way in order to serve our communities. First responders, healthcare workers, we've been working throughout this entire period of time, regardless of the associated risk, right? Because the, the population relies on us, um, especially people that are right on the front line. Like, I'm more than willing to put myself at risk for the protection of other people in this country. So I think a lot of people are still under that impression. Well, you know, you need to do your part. Well, people like us do our part all the time, and we have been our entire career. That's right. But there's something going on here with this current situation that just doesn't seem right. You know, and, and ironically, despite those experiences, uh, the same government officials are now trying to take my ability to provide an income for my family away and others like me. Bulford wants to say something. Anyone? Do you have instructions to arrest me? I'm here if you are. Could I get an, an Ottawa police officer or RCMP? Please? I'm here to turn myself in if the police want to arrest me. Oh my 
That's another organizer? Yeah. He's an RCMP, XR and CMP officer. XR, yeah. Just resigned last week. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Way of the Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead. Very happy to be back. And uh, I have Corporal Danny Bulford waiting in the wings. And that was uh, the clip uh, that I featured of him, his experience, uh, some of the clip of the first interview that I had with him uh, going back last year. And um, I put that out in the documentary that I just released. You can check it out for free. Uh, it's making its rounds. It's called The Truckers Were Right. And it's the other side of the story. Because right now in Ottawa, we have the inquiry going on into the Emergencies Act declaration by the Prime Minister. And in the first week alone, there were all kinds of revelations, admittances, a lot of facts coming out that were contradicting what the media was saying during that time. And we're only just beginning. There's another five or six weeks left. And um, so this is going to be a good time to talk to Danny because we haven't spoken to him since before the incident that you just witnessed. Uh, where he was arrested at the protest, where they were protesting peacefully. Um, they had called for his arrest on television. That's how he found out about it. So he went and turned himself in because there was no intention of violence or any of these types of things. And so I'd love to hear his side of that. And also, he is on the ground. We're going to get some uh, updates on what's going on with this inquiry. I think this is really important. So I'm happy you guys are here. Let's bring him in. And there he is, Danny. Thank you so much for, first of all, what you've done for this country and what you've done uh, for this movement of freedom happening in this country. Um, and, you know, you've taken a lot of slings and arrows, but uh, you've also got a lot of support and it's an honor to have you back. And so tell us, how have you been? What's going on? What's been going on since that instance we just watched where they arrested you at the Freedom Rally? <laughs> well, thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me again. You're the very first person to ever give me a voice. So hats off to you. Um, so the arrest, I'll just quick summary of that. <clears throat> that was on February 18th, the first day that the police mass mobilized to take down the convoy. I had been down at the front line earlier in the day, like trying to pull at the heartstrings of the Ottawa police officers, public, public order unit, or they call it ESU. And I was, you know, trying to get them to trying to convince them that they didn't have to comply. They could say, no, they didn't have to do what they were doing, that they knew it was wrong, you know, et cetera, hoping that I might get a couple of converts and then snowball from there. Right. And then um, I got pulled away briefly to go do a joint press conference I followed up uh, Tom Marazzo and another military veteran who had spoken just before me, kind of one final little uh, last-ditch effort, hopefully to get the police to seize this historic opportunity to stand up for the people and do the right thing. And then as soon as I was done that uh, press conference, my wife showed me a message on her phone from one of our next-door neighbors. And it said that the, the news was reporting that the police were looking for me to identify me. So I went down <clears throat> back to the Rideau and Sussex corner in Ottawa, ended up presenting myself to the RCMP, was arrested for mischief, and then handed off to the Ottawa police uh, at the cell block. They added two additional offenses that they said I was under investigation for. Spoke to a lawyer, hung out in cells for about, I think I was in custody for a total of 10 and a half hours. I uh, got pulled out of the cell around midnight and the 
lead detective, the homicide detectives that they had working mischief offenses, um, pulled me out of the cell, took me up to the interview room. And he basically, he said, I'm pretty sure he was mad that I got arrested. It, like he seemed visibly annoyed. I don't think I was actually part of their arrest plan. I think that was a false message mm. or, uh, Anyways, I put the RCMP guys on the spot and they ended up arresting me. So anyways, he asks me why I'm there. I said, because I was arrested for mischief. He said, well, did you ask to be arrested for mischief? And I said, well, no. And then I told him the story about the press conference and my wife's phone. And he just said, well, we're not charging you with anything. We're releasing you. This has to end. I said, yeah, I agree. He said, well, a lot of people got hurt today. And I said, well, from which side? And he said, well, from both sides. And I didn't know because I'd been in jail all day. Hmm. And so I just said, well, our message has always been stay peaceful no matter what. And he just kind of replied, well, I don't know if that was the case today. And I was like, well, again, I wasn't here. And then he let me go. <clears throat> um, walking back towards the hotel, I ran into an RCMP officer that I knew. I asked him about injuries. And the only thing he knew anything about was the horse trampling. I ran, I spoke to two auto OPP officers in a cruiser at a intersection. I asked them the same thing. They said, I asked if any of, if they were all good and they said, yeah, we're all good today. Thanks. And then I asked that of an Ottawa police officer right before I got back to the hotel, I just asked about any injuries and he said, yeah, no, we're all good. So I think the detective was trying to like play me a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. Anyways, of course, the next day there was the continued breakdown um, or dismantle. I, I did go down, down downtown for uh, a brief amount of time, uh, mainly to look some people that I knew in the, in the face, like look them in the eye. And I don't know, I, not to, not to like make them feel guilty, but just to like make them think, you know, they're staring across the line at me. These are guys that I know, guys that I have worked with in the past and just trying to make them think like, holy crap, like how did we get to this point where we're standing on the opposite side of this from Danny Bulford? Right, who yeah. I think like most Absolutely. of the guys that I saw that I knew, we always had, a, I, I had a good work, working relationship with most people. And then I kind of had to <laughs> connect with my wife who was like, she didn't want to go anywhere. But I kind of, I told her, I said, look, this is getting taken down today. We need to start like making some kind of a range or helping set things up for people who are going to need someplace to go after this. Right. And so we went back and started kind of like working with the few volunteers that were still kind of hanging around and just trying to figure out, okay, the people that get arrested uh, or, you know, even just people who get their vehicles taken, whatever, like where are all of these people going to go and where are they going to stay and how are we going to feed them and all that kind of stuff. So, and now of course that, that was the final day of the actual protest. And then the Ottawa, there was a, a pretty heavy police presence in downtown Ottawa for, I think roughly about a week, maybe afterwards. Yeah, I remember that about a week or two. Yeah. And then, um, but we were, we were done. We were out of there. Most people had relocated to, there was a location east of Ottawa and a location west of Ottawa. So I kind of went out to both of those places just to kind of check in and see what was going on. And then eventually people started filtering on their way home. And after that, 
I did, I did, I did go to a, a, some protests and some like some events, and then I did like a handful of interviews. But then the focus kind of turned toward um, getting our family's affairs in order because we had made the decision that we weren't going to stay here in Ontario. And so then we started to do a lot of work, a lot of renovation work, stuff like that in our home to put it on the market. And, uh, you know, a, a bunch of other projects that I should have had done five or six years ago. Um, <clears throat> well, that's great. I mean, just anyway. hearing that so you went from being arrested 10 hour, 10 hours or so you're detained, you're released. Um, there were others that were just arrested and released. A lot of people were saying they had protesters where they were just dropping them off outside the city kind of a thing. Um, I don't know. It's hard to know all the stories, but, um, I just know that the feeling after what was the immediate feeling that you had, do you feel like there was success in this protest? I mean, I believe there was a lot of people believe there was, but there's people that say, Oh, well, look, it just ended up with everybody getting arrested and punished and all this stuff happened. But what do you think about at the aftermath? No, um, there's definitely been people who have been treated pretty harshly. Uh, you know, people have spent a significant amount of time in custody for offenses that normally people would never do jail time for, period. Um, you know, obvious, the obvious ones, Tamara, Pat yeah. King. Uh, Pat's friend, I think his name's Tyson, Tyson Billings. He goes by the moniker Freedom George. <clears throat> and then there was another guy who just recently got released as well. He got arrested during the Rolling Thunder protest in April, the bike one. Oh, the bikers, yeah. Yeah, and uh, like people have been incarcerated for long periods of time for offenses that normally would never receive such penalties. Um, however, that, that being said, you know, there was the, the freezing of the accounts and all of that, right? Like there was obviously unprecedented punishment directed at people who were viewed as like organizers or leaders or whatever you want to call it. But what I think ultimately it did meet the objective of ending the majority of mandates, or at least sus they're suspended, right? Like they're the federal government, other governments are trying to keep that possibility of the threat of returning restrictions and mandates if things start to, if things deteriorate again. Right. But I don't think that, I think they would be met with even much more resistance than they were met with before. Absolutely. And, you know, ultimately, well, I think the, it, it was so big that it could not be ignored, right? Like you had all of these different freedom right. groups from different professions and just a handful from each profession was speaking out. Right. And, you know, everyone was trying to figure out how do we unify? How do we unify? And it's hard in a country the size of Canada. Right. And then you have, you know, personality dynamics mixed in. Some people think that you have to go one route. Other people are advocating for another. And so that seemed to be a real challenge for all these different freedom groups until the truck convoy spooled up and then all of a sudden it was like this is it this is our moment for everyone to rally to a common cause and a common goal to finally have this massive platform that 
the media cannot ignore and suppress and censor, right? I mean, they, they're going to twist. We all knew that they would twist their narrative and they would, they would try their best to make us appear like the worst possible human beings on earth. But I think overwhelmingly it was a tremendous success. I mean, it, we, it, it took some people took our, we took our licks for sure. A lot of, and some worse than others, but <clears throat> it initiated the change that was necessary to at least get, well, I mean, politicians to start opposing the unconstitutional restrictions and mandates and actually finally beyond like just a handful of uh, provincial members of parliament or federal MPs to actually finally speak up in large numbers and put the pressure on to end mandates. Yeah. There were far um, fewer before the, the convoy. Oh yeah. No, it, 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 uh, when it became publicly popular to stand up for freedom, they all, <laughs> a, a large number of them began to speak out who had been silent prior to that. So yeah. and more will as we go. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, it, it, and I think it, it also was the opportunity where a lot of the doctors and the scientists that we have been following and talking to and talking about over the last, let's say, let's say roughly two years, um, finally had a platform where they could reach a much larger audience, right? With all of the, with the amount of people that were there live streaming and the independent media and the social media people with huge followings, we finally had people, these experts have their chance to, to voice the real legitimate concerns. So from what I saw, it was such a big event that it, it like it shook the world. Like the entire world was watching Ottawa when That's that right. happened. Right. And then of course you had like the, the protest in British Columbia, the, the big one in Alberta, the big one down in Windsor and, and even smaller ones were popping up in other places that you didn't really hear much about. I was, was on the Island, Danny. I live on the Island and it was yeah. massive uh, in downtown yeah. Victoria. It was just insane. Like, yeah. So, I mean, and that was all inspired by the Ottawa freedom convoy protests. Right. right. And then you've seen that spread all around the world. Like there was countries all over the world that started standing up to this. And that was, it was like, that was the critical, let's call it the pivot moment where finally people were able to find something that they could unite behind to push back against all of these i call them authoritarian government or totalitarian government policies i would concur yeah i would concur my friend and i think that uh it was an absolute thing of beauty it, and the people that experienced it know that and the people that watched it on the fake news don't know that right and that's the that's the issue um you were a target of media slander was there any direct stories you wanted to tell us about how that must have gone down, uh, you know, CTV News, CBC coming after you a little bit. Um, the, how, how was the media versus the support that you got from independent media? Well, um, the mainstream media, they mentioned me a little bit. They definitely tried to, like, sensationalize my role within the convoy. But... Uh, I think the one, I think the worst thing that I can remember them saying is that I was like bragging about my connections with people in the national security establishment. And I don't think I was bragging. I was just trying to get the point across that like, you know, they were accusing us of being terrorists. And I was like, I used to work with the integrate, like I used to do work 
for the inset, right? For the national security and integrated national security enforcement team when they needed tactical support, right? Like I know these people, like I'm not, we're not extremists. We're not like, they know who I am as a human, right? Um, But actually, to be frank, I don't really get a whole lot of mainstream media attention. And if I did, I wouldn't really pay much attention to it. I'm a believer in people who are going to troll are going to do it no matter what, no matter how valid your argument is. That's and right. it's, it's just a deliberate attempt to, it's like a deliberate time suck. They just want to get you, they want to bait you and engage you. So then it distracts you from the stuff that you could be more productive doing. And, and of course, like the independent media has been hugely supportive. That's awesome. And I'm glad to hear that I haven't been hounding you too much. I did see a few articles, like you said, but it wasn't crazy. And maybe it's because they don't want to bring too much attention to you because you're a very legitimate um, person in this whole movement. Like you're, you're, you know, Canadian patriot, but you serve this country. You were uh, a sniper with the RCMP. You were on protective detail numerous times for the prime minister. You put your life on the line. That's what I loved about that clip I found. I was looking through our interview and I was like, what's the clip to put in? And it was that one where you were just being real with people and saying, let me just tell you the reason why, and you're just not hearing it, but there's a Mm -hmm. really legitimate reason why. And you can't just accuse us all as being irresponsible people that don't care when we chose careers that we put our lives on the line every single day, you know? And did you have, as you went through this whole experience, um, it must've been quite the roller coaster. uh, but did you feel that you got success in what you wanted to do? in terms of getting the message out in terms of, uh, your, your role in the convoy. Do you feel good about that? Oh yeah. I, I, I don't have any regrets about being involved with the convoy at all. It, like I said, it was like, it was the historic opportunity that we all needed to take advantage of. And we did. And I will always be grateful that I had the opportunity to be involved the way I was. Um, you know, there's been, when I look back at this course of action that we've taken, I don't regret doing anything of what I did. I mean, there's probably things I could have done better. The only time I've ever doubted myself was when I see the impact that this has had on my kids, right? Like because Mm -hmm. of my decisions and because of speaking out and because of my active role at the convoy, like, we're we're selling our home they're leaving their school their friends their hockey teams all of that right like stuff that was a big part of our life before especially for them uh, we just don't feel welcome here anymore right i mean we we still do have like some people from this town have stuck with us and of course like many freedom freedom loving patriots we've made new incredible relationships with people that we have known for like less than a year who are like the type of people that would do anything for you now. Yeah. But I just don't, uh, we just don't feel at home here anymore. So that's sad. That's, but it's that, good in the, the sense that you have the ability to, to change it and you've got, I've here it's going really well. You're in a position where you're going to be able to move to somewhere that may end up actually being better for you and your family in the end. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it'll be sad to say goodbye to some of the amazing people that have stuck with us and have taken us in. But 
we're we're moving we're moving home right we're moving back to alberta where my wife is from and i'm from and we're gonna go we're gonna go reconnect with our families because we've lived away for 16 plus years right 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 well what do you think about danielle smith she's hitting the headlines uh, <laughs> and just coming well, out with she, some nukes you know she's saying all the right things so i'm i'm gonna I'll go with her for sure. I'll, I think she deserves a chance for sure. Yep. Well, and the good news is, is that in Alberta, everybody's going to be watching this like a hawk now. Like it seems like there's a really uh, strong movement there in Alberta. A lot of people want to see change there. Uh, and I see that in the people and the people that communicate with me from there. And so that's awesome. Um, one thing I wanted to ask Danny was that there's sort of division that's happened amongst the freedom movement, let's just say. And mm -hmm. um, I remember watching this whole thing as, wow, we finally got all these people that see things differently, but agree on freedom to come together. And it was the most amazing thing to watch and be a part of. I was a part of it here in BC and it was just as incredible everywhere. But there was also f factioning. There were some big uh, personalities. We don't have to get into details, but big personalities coming out and kind of attacking on people like Tamara and others and the convoy leadership. Um, I think many had legitimate questions and, but others I think went a bit far in accusing them of, uh, you know, doing something with the money or, um, you know, just not being genuine in some way. So I wondered if you were comfortable with speaking to that a bit and saying, well, you were there on the ground with these people and, um, you know, first of all, was there division in the ranks at the top there with the organizers? Were they at least unified on some of the basics? And then um, how would you say your experience with Tamara and some of the leadership was? Well, I think during the convoy, there, there still was, you know, pockets of people that were operating kind of independent, like they had their own little thing going. And fine, whatever, right? As long as everyone... Right stuck to the basics of like peaceful non-compliance and like trying to everyone get on board with, we got to remain peaceful and appear non-threatening and we have to try and conduct ourselves, which will make it difficult for the media to propagate their narrative. And I think most people stuck with that. Um, my dealings with the, let's call it the, the board like the people who were like the, who kind of became the board of the Freedom Corps, you know, like Tamara, Chris, and some of the other high profile uh, truckers that right. were like the face of the convoy. They were all excellent. I, I, I have no complaints whatsoever at all. And when I've had people ask those same questions of me, like how they have this skepticism, I just say, look, like, my firsthand experience is that they're exactly who they say they are. And I took a leap of faith on that. And so far I haven't seen anything to cause me any concern. And I still believe that I, I don't, I don't have any concerns about them. <clears throat> I think, uh, we have become so mistrustful of institutions and government that now we're starting to see we're starting to see like malevolence everywhere, even, even in places where it might not exist. Right. Makes sense. But I mean, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it's bad to be like uh, cautiously optimistic, 
mm. when you're dealing with uh, other other people. But there was definitely there was definitely things that occurred during the the convoy that I didn't I didn't rub me the wrong way. But it was never mm. from the freedom. Right? It was never from like from the truckers themselves. It was always uh, you know. It was always activities from people that were trying to inject themselves into right what we were trying to join in yeah. right and and yeah. most most people did come with the best of intentions they just wanted to help no matter what but then I think there was other people that were trying to jump on board with the popularity of the convoy to try and further their own little agenda right whether Absolutely. it was their own yeah. personal notoriety or a political thing um, but for the for the for the majority of my experience was all very positive it was an it was like it was an incredible testament to the working class of canada right like we can we had zero real organization to begin with no time to prepare for this massive event that landed in the city of ottawa and we had to try and figure out how to make things work like how to keep people fed you know, provide them with the necessities of right of life, right? Like food, water, um, transportation, showers, all that kind of stuff, right? I, I was mostly doing like security safety type stuff. And then we had people doing first aid stuff. And, you know, it, we didn't have resources to begin with, really. But people just came from everywhere, like just they wanted to give, they wanted to donate, they wanted, you know, they wanted to donate food, water, offer up their homes, offer up rides. Uh, it, it was, and even the things that we were kind of trying to figure out how to address, if it was a problem, by the time we would try and come up with a solution, the people out on the street, like who were actually like in their living out of their vehicles or like in their big truck, they would just figure stuff out and get it done. Right. Like I, I said this yeah, earlier today, it. like awesome. when it came to snow removal, they just did it. When it came to looking after the war memorial, the veterans just did it. The Terry Fox statue, a bunch of protesters just set up tents and they guarded the Terry Fox statue 24 seven. Um, garbage collection because the city of Ottawa trucks, you know, the, the garbage trucks, you know, between the protest vehicles, plus all the police barricades, like they set up, you know, graders and heavy equipment and concrete barriers. So our people, the protesters would, they formed their own system of garbage collection and then moved it to a location where the city could come get it. It was easy and convenient for them. Like people just, they just took initiative and got stuff done. And they fed the homeless people down there, right? Like they, people were saying the homeless were putting on weight. Yeah. You could go get three hot square meals a day. There was just nothing but abundance. It actually, the, the, what I've seen from, I had some friends that went down and the footage that I saw, um, it was just like, there was so much abundance of people coming together and just bringing their trade and their skill. And it actually showed how strong we actually are when we come around with even if we have different perspectives, we can come around on freedom. We can come around on something that unites the country for once because everything lately has been dividing the country. And mm -hmm. it's, so, it's so disheartening, but also not surprising to see how the media is trying to slander this movement and the people involved in it as being something completely the opposite of what it is.
Um, it's just been amazing to see that. And so let's maybe, cause I don't, we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you about this inquiry now. So this all mm-hmm. built up and now we have an inquiry. Cause of course the ending of that chapter was the green shirts came, you know, the whole, all these horrendous incidents that we all documented and have seen happen. It was due to the emergencies act that was declared by the government. And now as a part of the declaration, this was something I didn't even know, but now I'm glad I do. As a part of that declaration of the emergencies act written into it is a a mandate for this inquiry to occur, right? So that's actually part of the deal. So maybe just start with how you experienced the emergencies act on the ground and then where we're at right now. Well, I mean, I got arrested, but that wasn't necessarily part of the emergencies act, but that was what basically pushed the mass mobilization and dismantling of the convoy. Plus I think the biggest thing that came out of the emergencies act that probably bothered Canadians the most was the freezing of bank accounts, right? Because you didn't even have to be present at the protest or like kind of a face of the protest to have your bank account frozen. And so that really bothered people beyond that. Um, now with the inquiry if you want me to jump to that this sure, uh, yeah, this this, that. this has to be done and the report has to be submitted the findings of the commission have to be submitted i think it's one year to the date of the that the date that the act was revoked or like that, that they ended the emergencies act so i think that okay. would be february 23rd is when they when they dropped it so they're, you know, they're on a time crunch, right? Like it's already, we're already getting into almost November and the commission doesn't end. I think the witness portion, like the fact finding portion of the commission ends on November 25th. And I think they have another week after that, which is uh, like policy review. Okay. <clears throat> so they're, they're on a timeline to get this done, especially because they have like, it's a tremendous amount of information between the, the documentation and then all of the witness testimony as well. Um, so far, what I've seen is pretty much exactly what I expected from uh, residents that have testified and city councilors and, you know, elected, you know, elected city officials. However, I have found that the um, so far, the police witnesses and the let's call them the city bureaucrats, like the uh, Steve Canalacos, the city manager, and Serge, I think his name is Serge Arpen. He's the mayor's chief of staff. And then um, Kim Ayotte, the the guy who's in charge of like the public safety, like he would be in charge of bylaw, et cetera, for the city of Ottawa. He has some interesting testimony. Eh? They've all, I found they've all been pretty forthcoming, right? Like mm. they still dance around like the occupation type language, but the, I think they're, they've been pretty factual uh, about like the different events and what was actually occurring on the ground. And then you have the OPP testimony was very favorable to us so far. Absolutely, like yeah. I, I, I think, um, 
Yeah, I'll admit after watching it, I was like, God, I should have joined the OPP. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, it was the it was it the chief or I'm trying to remember who it was where he there was he came out with just some he basically destroyed like yeah. three of the mainstream media's conspiracy theories about the, the very Congress. first guy. He's the he's a superintendent, Superintendent Pat Morris. And I think his title is deputy director of the intelligence bureau. So he's like the he's like the main guy for. Uh, criminal intelligence for the OPP and by way, and then by extension, they basically, the OPP run like a province wide intelligence apparatus, like an integrated with all the different services. And his testimony was very favorable to us. Like clearly he said without a doubt, like there was never a credible uh, credible intelligence of a specific threat of national security. Uh, Brennan Miller, the lawyer representing the, the Freedom Corps, he took him through the entire Section 2 of the CSIS Act and confirmed, like, no, didn't meet any of those requirements uh, for, you know, didn't meet any of the threshold contained within Section 2 of the CSIS Act, which would give the government justification for invoking the act. He, he, and he even said he was shocked at the lack of violent crime. Yes. Um, yeah. He, his testimony viral, was yeah. outstanding. And then uh, Superintendent Abrams for the OPP was also, I felt he was very fair. And then uh, super chief, retired chief superintendent Carson party was absolutely excellent for us as well. I think, uh, you know, thank God we still have people in those positions with integrity that will speak the truth and facts as opposed to just, bending to the political narrative. Oh, it was so good to see. And I agree with you and shout out to all of you in government, in those positions. Um, you know, we just want the truth. And so thank you. Let's just get the truth. That's all that really matters. Right. And let's be fair <clears throat> about it and put all the facts on the table. There's senators, uh, Danny, that we have that were a part of getting rid of the emergencies act at when it came out, I'm mm -hmm. trying to remember all their names, but I tuned into that. So, but let's, uh, maybe start wrapping up with What's going on right now? What was the day like today? Because there was some pretty interesting people on the inquiry, inquiry stand. Uh, did you have any comments about today's events in the inquiry? Yeah, so we've had both deputy chiefs from the Ottawa Police Service testify so far. So Patricia Ferguson was earlier in the week. And I, I felt that she was pretty fair too. And she even, she said herself as well, like she, we did not need the emergencies act. She said it was helpful, but not necessary. And whereas I think all the all of the OPP uh, officers so far have said like nope wasn't required we had a plan we could have we could have we could have uh, you know launched our action plan to remove the protest without without the emergency act Deputy Chief Steve Bell who ended up taking over as interim chief after Peter slowly resigned he was on the stand today. And he, he was definitely using a lot more of that inflammatory language, like, you know, and making all kinds of claims about like the horrible behavior of the protesters. And like, um, you know, we all know that the big complaint was the honking and the idling trucks, but then you've heard a lot of other allegations get thrown around about like people ripping masks off people's faces and intimidating residents and harassing residents. And I've heard a lot of those claims, but I have not seen any evidence to support those claims. Hmm. However, again, Brendan Miller during his cross-examination, because Chief 
uh, Deputy Chief Bell was talking about the violence and the trauma that the Ottawa residents had has sustained. And he kept saying violence over and over again. And so Brendan actually got him to agree uh, during cross-examination that he, there was, he couldn't specify acts of violence towards Ottawa residents that would meet the criminal code definition of violence or the section two or the CSIS act definition of violence. Therefore, therefore, you know, like not meeting the criteria of the emergencies act to prevent like acts of violence. So that was huge. Um, if you don't, if you don't mind, I'll just check out my notebook here quick. Sure. Cause I was making tons at that, of notes. Danny, I was thinking too, it was uh, last week, I believe. Yeah. It was last week where mayor Jim Watson was on the stand and when they mm -hmm. started asking him about his language, saying he saw people ripping masks or beating up homeless people or whatever he was saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he said they all, all those reports came from media sources. And so he's like, so you never directly experienced it or saw it? No, it came from the media. So yeah. it, it's funny that that was admitted. Well, so it's, you know, Dave, early days of the convoy, like one of the first nights I was out talking to OPS and I was actually driving around with one of their road sergeants trying to find locations where they could like bring trucks that were in the periphery bring them more into the downtown and you know he was showing me what what was possible what's a no-go you know we, we were still working very closely and i remember there was another younger ops officer a young guy constable he was working one of the intersections and he said to me he said like that we are so unprepared for this. We had no idea this would be this big. And I looked at him and I said, you guys got to stop. Look, you guys got to stop watching CBC for your intelligence. Yeah. Like it was They're all like over people. social media. <laughs> like it was all, like anyone who paid any attention to social media would have known that this thing was massive. And right. so when you hear that testimony from the OPP, it absolutely confirms that they were submitting intelligence reports saying like, this is a major, this is a huge amount of people. This is large in scale, and you can expect this to be a prolonged event. And despite that, they still kept, had it in their head that it was going to be like maybe three days and then just a handful of people staying. It's like, no, like you, what you don't understand is that that convoy gave millions of people their first glimmer of hope that they did not have to be afraid of their government and what the government would direct the police to do. And, and that they weren't alone. Yeah. And that they weren't alone and that people would stand up to protect them if the state started to go real dark. Right. And I know, I, I know I, I've been, I've been very careful about comparing what we lived through to other moments in history because that was so extreme, but there was so many times, so many times that people have expressed those same fears to me, like, you know, mm -hmm. the concern about being force, forcibly confined in a quarantine camp, you know, forcibly injected, having their children taken away. Like, these are real fears that Canadians were terrified of. And when that convoy happened, it was like, we have millions of people who will rise up to, to save us from that kind of dark, twisted fate. And so I don't think, I don't think people who didn't live it fully understand the, the, the damage of the psyche, like the emotional and mental um, turmoil that these restrictions and not just the restrictions and mandates, but I would say even more 
the dehumanizing rhetoric, right? Like as soon as that began and people started wishing people would die and, you know, you had journalists talking about frog marching the unvaccinated down to the clinic and forcing a needle in their arm. You had another journalist saying that we belong in prison camps. You know, the, we've all seen it. Right. And then you got the, the prime minister of Canada saying that, you know, he calls us every name in the book, but then he says, we're, we take up space and should we be tolerated? And then I think the most egregious thing that he did was when he said, when he implied to people on his campaign that we were a threat to other people's children. It's like, if you want to incite hatred, you tell someone that they're a, you, you, you tell that parent over there that I'm a threat to their kid and they will instantly hate me and want me dead. Right. And absolutely. So that's that, that, that's why so many Canadians were living at this super heightened level of anxiety, right? About what's going to happen next. And <clears throat> so that convoy, I think really, really helped bring people off of that ledge and make them think like, okay, like, yeah, we're, we're not alone, right? We're not going to have to flee into the woods to go and live off grid. Although that's pretty appealing at times, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, like there, there are huge amount, huge numbers of Canadians that will stand up to protect us from that kind of, from degenerating to that state. That's incredible. Um, and well stated And the way I explain that comparison question to people, as I say, look, if you're a student of history, you'll know that there are the events of history that are documented that we talk about. So if I say, you know, Germany, 1930s, you're immediately going to think of all the documentaries and the movies and everything you've been told about World War II, right? And you're going to be basically tuning in to that story as it's unfolding. But there's the preceding events of history. There's the steps that were taken that led to those more extreme events. So what, what's being criticized here by people on our side, at least the people I'm talking to and what I've actually said on my show and I've spoken to people who fled from Russia, who fled from China, who fled from mm-hmm. Venezuela, from Romania, from Poland. I mean, come on, we could keep going. How many places people had to flee from so that they could have freedom? And so they're experienced in the government going totalitarian, right? Mm-hmm. And so they say, they're the ones telling me, you're already at stage seven of yeah. 12 or eight of 12 of a bunch of steps that happened to us exactly, except here's the thing, they're doing it to the whole world over this. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I say there's the events of history, but everybody forgets about the preceding events that led to those events. And that's what that's what we mean when we're comparing it is we're trying to stop this before it's. That's it. Right. Like people like, oh, you can't compare this. Like you're right. What happened in Nazi Germany or Stalinist Russia was horrific. But like you said, those things happened because the populations let it happen. That's right. right. It because people either jumped on board in support of it because they bought into the hateful rhetoric or they just stayed silent while it happened. And there were some that were tried for crimes against humanity 70 years later, 60 years later. They were still being under investigating from this uh, Nuremberg investigation. Yep. of crimes against humanity, people like Bruno Day and things like that, who were charged with 5,000 counts of crimes against humanity. And that was only for sitting back and doing nothing. 
it wasn't even for physically engaging in the crimes against humanity that were happening all around him. So mm -hmm. I say that as a story, because if our courts and our law system ever get their act together and we get our act together and get this to the point where we can show the criminal side of this, um, at, like they did in the past, then, you know, the people that were engaged in standing back and watching these things unfold, knowing that what they were doing was wrong, you know, think of these doctors, think of people that maybe could have spoken out, but didn't. Right. Um, and I understand why people didn't, but yet we had people that did. Right. And so all that's documented. And we hope that we can get this into a court setting simply because all the evidence could be put on the table. And there's no bias of media or anything like this. It's just what are the facts of what happened and how can we prevent it from happening again? And that's what we hope. Do you see any steps uh, of justice happening for the people that the people that had their bank accounts frozen, the people that were trampled by horseback or broke a rib from a baton or whatever it was that happened? Um, and do you see any justice on that front possibly coming from the inquiry? Because then we would get the facts and then people might be able to get some kind of closure on that. I'll admit, um, to be fair to the commissioner, a lot of people were very skeptical of him because of his uh, background with uh, you know, working with Pierre Trudeau and working with Jean Chrétien. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he worked at the same law firm. And I've, I've heard other people uh, talk about how he's also been a Liberal Party donor in the past. However, so far, his questions have been, I think they've been pretty solid. And I, um, I've actually been pleasantly surprised at his demeanor and how he has, when he's asked clarifying questions, he at least gives the good appearance that he's trying to be unbiased. Now, I don't know. I don't think there is any specified consequence. Like if he does, if he does rule that the Emergencies Act was invoked unjustifiably, I don't know if there's any. I don't think there's any legislated consequence to that. Really? Um, no, I That's really don't. I, I don't think wow. there's a specific consequence. Like, I don't think that it automatically triggers no, uh, non-confidence or triggers an election or anything like that. Um, but my, the way I see it, the primary objective of this is that, once again, we have an opportunity for the truth to come out without right. interference and obstruction from the mainstream media and their censorship campaign, right? Um, they can choose to ignore reporting certain aspects of it, but you're already seeing you're already seeing the narrative slipping out, even in some of the mainstream. I think, and you know, it, if people just listen or watch the live stream throughout the day, this is an opportunity where it the truth is available to the entire nation from the source. Right. Without like going through the intermediary filters of the propaganda of the mainstream media. So I think the primary objective is to get the truth out there. And hopefully that will sway the public opinion enough that that will then begin to pressure the politicians and the institutions to do what's right. Yeah. And thank you that you, you made a good point, because right before that, my blood was kind of boiling, thinking about you know, we need to get some kind of closure and the, and the people that suffered under this need some kind of justice for that. But then as soon as you said, well, there's a bigger mission of at least getting the truth out there, that's going to do more damage to any of uh, these crimes or the criminals behind them. 
this is going to actually uh, bring the truth to light without that obstruction from the media. That's really, really key. And that's why I feel like my job and the job of independent media is, is to get those little clips. I'm glad to see these little clips going all over Twitter and around social media of the, what's going on in these inquiries that are actually showing the opposite of what the media told everybody. And I think that this is going to dovetail into further investigations into the policies that were enacted by the government that led to a convoy to begin with. And we can go down the line and we see some positive movements on that front. Um, uh, Danny, do you have any final little bits to wrap up or things we may have missed you want people to know about? And maybe uh, some closing remarks to all the people that are fighting hard in this country for freedom that maybe are feeling kind of marginalized by their friends and family. Um, they're being ostracized and misunderstood. Do you have any closing remarks for them? Yes. So on the inquiry, I'd say we need, we can't afford to be nihilistic right now and be like, ah, oh, my opinion doesn't matter or my voice doesn't matter. We need people to be engaged, pay attention, amplify the message. That's what we need. We need as many people on board with getting the truth out there as we can. Uh, if you were impacted by the convoy, positive, negative, you can share your story on the public Order Emergency Commission website. They have a share your views. And then I think you actually spoke with Eva about it, right? Um, they created their own um, survey as well, just right. so that they could kind of a little bit of like a, a check and a balance to make sure that people's voices are actually being heard, not just one-sided. So I encourage everyone to pay attention, amplify the message. And if you have a, if you have a statement that you want to deliver to the commission, you can. You can deliver a statement directly to the commission. You can do the survey for the legal team representing the Freedom Corps. All of it is beneficial. We need all hands on deck here. Every freedom-loving Canadian, we need you now. If you haven't, if you, you've, if if you're sitting there wondering what can I do, this is something that you can actually do that can help us get the truth out there, because that's the number one battle. Right. Like that, that's the first that's the first battle that we have to win. We have to get the truth exposed to enough members of the public to, to flip the narrative. Right. And then I think only then will we have a, a possibility of actual like like you said, like um, judicial inquiry or, or actual investigations into what has occurred. Because I, I'm, there's not a doubt in my mind that there has been criminality on a massive scale, like nationally here in Canada and globally across the world. And I think you're starting to see those things happen, right? Like in the European Union, there's an actual, uh, the EU prosecutor has launched an actual investigation now into, I can't remember how to pronounce her name, but the EU bureaucrat who brokered the contracts with Pfizer. Mm. Um there's lots of there's big high profile lawsuits in the United States that are forcing discovery, right? Like uh, in the state of Missouri, I think their attorney general released a statement that uh, Anthony Fauci and other officials like they have been they are being what they call it deposed. I think that's a U.S. term, okay. but basically yeah. like almost like subpoenaed so that they will have to um, provide evidence in in this in this uh, legal process down in the states. And then, um, you know, unfortunately, the Peckford thing we got, we didn't get the decision that we wanted on the mootness hearing, but they're appealing that. He's going to appeal it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, 
it's going to happen. It's not going to happen fast though, because you have to think that if you want to call it the opposition or the, the people that the opponents that we're going up against, there's some of the most powerful corporations in the world when it comes to financial resources and lobbying power. And then you're going to have yeah. to get, then you also, not only do you have to win the narrative fight against them, but you also have to convince a good chunk of the population that everything that they were told was a lie. And, you know, the fact that some of these things could be harmful to them. And you also, it's going to be very uncomfortable for people who are horrible to other humans to admit that they were wrong and that they would, that they're not so virtuous, right? That um, they were, they fell prey to being misled and they were horrible as a result. So all that to say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going on and on and on, but no, the number, I think that, I think the primary objective is we have to win the, let's call it the truth narrative has to be set free. And only then I think, well, all of the other steps start to fall into place. will start to fall into place. Yeah, I agree with you. That's, that's it. And that would be the message to everybody out there that if you're feeling like you're alone in this fight, you're not alone in this fight. And there's a lot of good people and a lot of good things happening literally all over the world. As more truth keeps coming to light in so many different areas, this is but one area that is under the microscope and under public scrutiny right now. And for good reason, because I think a lot of these things that we're discussing in our society are, there's a lot of connective tissue between them. And yeah. all of them, uh, all of them rely on the fact that we people on the ground here um, who are going to suffer the consequences of these decisions made at the top and our children as well. We have to have this conversation, even when they're trying to censor it, even when they're trying to ridicule you out of the room and try to gaslight you and whatever. That's just that's more evidence for you that you're dealing with tyrants and criminals and, and uh, you know, people who are, are not as virtuous, as you said, as they're trying to project. It's wolves in sheep's clothing. So now the clothing's coming off and we're seeing the wolf and it's our job to just keep bringing that message out. So if you have the feeling of loneliness right now in this, uh, you know, become charged with the fact that you're not alone and there's a lot of people that are still fighting this fight along with you. And I think the truth is going to win in the end. What do you think on that, Danny? The, the truth always comes out, man. Um, yeah. No matter, no matter how how much it's tried to, no matter how much people try and bury it, it always finds its way out. Like you, you hear Jordan Peterson talk about it. No one gets away with anything. You always end up getting found out at some point in time. It's just, right. it might, it might take a long time because like I said, we're, we're going, we're up against a very sophisticated, well-resourced opposition with this global machine, right. That's pushing this narrative. And like you said, COVID is just one piece of it, right? The whole, everything. I mean, even COVID, you can break that down into multiple components that we have been misled about. And that's just one thing that we're, that, that's where I try and put my primary focus, because if you try and focus on everything else, it's almost too much. It's, it's overwhelming the amount of information that's out there and to try and sort out what's, what's legit, what's credible, what's not. So I've tried to stick, keep my focus on, on this particular topic. 
Well, good for you. And and listen, uh, just from one man, one man to another, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the example you've set. Uh, thank you for being a leader when I know you didn't have a huge amount of support in the police department around you. Um, happy to see that we have organizations like Mounties for Freedom, stand, uh, Police on Guard, uh, some other organizations. Um, and you've made a great appeal and a great argument to law enforcement to really do a gut check and take a look at what's really going on. Um, our side doesn't hate the police. We don't, we're not anti-government. We're not, we're not like that. We're just trying to keep a dialogue, keep it peaceful and, uh, bring the true, uh, the, the best of Canada out to, to people, bring the best of us Canadians out to people, which is what I saw during that convoy. It's what I experienced. And I think it was inju an injustice what happened, but here we are exposing that. And that's, you've played a major role in it, Danny. And I just want to say thank you for your service to this country. Wow. Thank you, Dave. Like if you, people like you, the independent media, like that's, that's how we keep getting this message out there to, to a large audience. Right. So Absolutely. thank you. Absolutely. And uh, it, it's, I think it's the best tool we have at our disposal right now. That's right. And we're going to keep shining the light and you're welcome back anytime as events unfold. If something happens and you need an update, you've got my platform to use. And I just want to thank everybody for tuning in and please do us a solid. If you found value in this interview, please uh, share it out as far and wide as you can. You can make some clips of it. Let's get this stuff going because people need this information. So thank you for coming and supporting this channel, this work and this interview, and uh, we'll be doing this again real soon. Thanks a lot, Danny. All the best with the move and everything with your family. And let's stay in touch, brother. Well done. Absolutely, man. Hey, one day I'm going to come out to Vancouver Island to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> let's have a fire and some steak. And Sounds we'll good. Chat. <laughs> right on. Awesome. All Thanks, right, brother. Dave. Thanks, man. Thanks, everybody. Peace Bye. out. Cheers.